Welcome to Corwin's Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast with host Peter DeWitt. This podcast is from education leaders for education leaders. Every week, Peter and our guests get together to share ideas, put research into practice, and ensure every student is learning, not by chance, but by design. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm good. We're back. We are back. And you know what? I We have a conversation with somebody today that I think there are people that won't know the name and mm-hmm. other people that will. Yeah. Um, his, his name is Lyle Kurtman. So I'm going to start by that. And he's been in leader, uh, leadership development consultant for more than 30 years, but he's worked in not just education, but other sectors as well. And one of the reasons why I wanted him on the podcast is because Michael Fullen emailed me and said, hey, Peter, I want to make an introduction to somebody that I know and respect. And, you know, when Michael Fullen does that, that's pretty huge. Um, so Lyle and I ended up talking. And at first, I'll tell you, you know, the conversation was a little tricky at the beginning. Um, and Lyle would agree to that, too. We kind of pushed back on each other a little bit. And then within about 10 or 15 minutes of the conversation, I was just really engaged with what he was with what he was saying. And he has, you know, I'll say it in the podcast, people will hear me, you know, when we hear the word blunt, um, that doesn't always have positive connotations. But in this case, I believe that Lyle does it in a in a very respectful and empathetic way. Um, and it allows him to have some deeper conversations with people around things like how we can use data and evidence. And I say those separately because I asked him about the difference between that and the podcast. But He had written a guest blog for me because I ultimately asked him to write a guest blog. So he co-authored it with Sybil uh, Knight Burney, and it's called Outcomes Are Not in Sync, What You Need to Know. And and the first sentence is the fact that educational strategies are not aligned to student results is the core unspoken conversation that is missing in education. And that was the first sentence. (laughs) So that's, that's what we're talking about. He is definitely blunt or candid, um, but I think... um, one of the reasons that his bluntness ultimately goes down well and hopefully does go down well is that it it it's not born out of a desire to um uh somehow degrade or be rude to the other person it's out of the passion for the work and the urgency for change so that our system works better for our kids and i think that comes ac- across pretty quickly and what i sincerely hope of the many things that he said that I think is going to just be one of those this one of those conversations where a lot lots of things might stick with the with the listener um but that leaders who are listening leaders on, on any level of the work teacher leaders teachers who are listening that you really go back to your space you look at the big picture and you really really think about what do I want to prioritize and by any means necessary I am going to push the other stuff out of the way and keep it in its proper place. And I think uh, listening to Lyle, and I think many people want to do that, but it can just get so hard when you're in the middle of it. And he talks about why it gets hard. But I think um, Lyle uh, Kurtman might be the kind of person who could really inspire people to take another go at um, getting focused, which is a word that comes up a lot. Yeah, so so I'm hoping... I, I'm hoping people really enjoy this conversation because I, I, I do. I 
you know, I've only spoken to him, uh, you know, three or four times, but I enjoy um, his level of depth and the with the common sense that he uses. I enjoy that very much. I find him very engaging. So I hope listeners do as well. Okay. Um, enjoy this one, listeners. Again, we we really think you, you're going to, and we'd love to hear from you after this one is over. Uh, Peter, I will see you on the other side. Sounds good. Lyle Kurtman, welcome to the uh, Leaders Coaching Leaders podcast. It's good to have you on. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You know, it's not too often that um, Michael Fullen will contact me through email. I mean, he's written guest blogs for me and he's been a hero of mine for many years. But he contacted me and said, I'd like to make an introduction to you. And I was like, okay, this doesn't happen too often for Mike <laughs> to make an introduction. And then we ended up talking uh, for a while and, and you wrote a great guest blog for me for Finding Common Ground with um, Civil Night Bernie, which I have to admit did really, really well. It was it was called Emotional Strategy or Educational Strategies and Student Outcomes are Not in Sync, What You Need to Know. And one of the things that you said very first sentence, the fact that educational strategies are not aligned to student results is the core unspoken conversation that is missing in education. So before we get there, okay. for people that don't know Lyle Kurtman, could you talk a little bit about yourself? Give us your background. Okay. No, it's uh, exciting. I can't wait to get into the real conversation, the <laughs> unspoken one. Um yeah, I've been uh, doing uh, cons leadership management consulting for over 30 years. Um, I've worked with about 400 school districts, probably more than that now. So I actually go in the districts, not as much today because it's virtual. I virtually go in. Um, and I work with um, school boards sometimes, but superintendents, principals, administrators. And now over the last few years doing, I have 10 leadership development groups for teachers. So I do it at all levels. And Michael and I wrote a book about taking his coherence model and taking my work on leadership and connecting the two. Um, so we did that. How do you do coherence, but how do leaders, what are their competencies and the skills to do that? So, so that's the work I do. I also have worked in other sectors. I've worked in the business world and um, at, you know, in the higher education, even military, I've done every different area. Um, I did coach our state superintendent or commissioner in Massachusetts for five years um, when Massachusetts went from 16th to number one, which we can talk about what does that even mean? Um, so I did do that at the state and I've also worked at the federal level. So I know all parts of the system, so I try to bring it all together, but focus on what leaders actually yeah, and you, I mean, you do, you have such a rich background and, and that came through in our conversation, but also, you know, with the blog as well. And so let's, let's talk about the unspoken conversation that's missing in education. Um, what did you mean by the fact that educational strategies are not aligned to student results? Like, where does that come from? Yeah, because one of the things I've noticed over all my years of talking about this, writing about it, and actually trying to do it. Like Michael Fullen said, you don't just write about this, Lyle, you actually try to do it, which is a different, yeah. is that, you know, every year uh, education comes up with new initiatives, new things to work on. I know you talk about this, Peter, from an implementation side, and it's the brand new thing that comes from the state or federal government, sometimes from the business world, 
Um, and we jump to that issue and there's no focus. And so what I'm, I'm always trying to do is get people focused and get away from the things that they keep or are told every year are new initiatives to do and focus on what's right. I, even when I coached at the state level, I used to tell districts all the time, don't pay attention to all the things that even the state and federal government are telling you, because if you follow everything they say, the student achievement will not increase. Right. And then they're going to cite you as underperforming. So I want you to focus on what matters to students and move the other stuff to the side. And then if you get results, nobody's going to bother you from the state and federal side. Mm. So, so that's hard though, right? For school, like when I'm working with school leaders, it's very difficult for them to, to focus because they just have, they have so much coming at them. And so how do you get them to focus on what matters and kind of push that stuff to the side of like, you must get pushback when you're having those kind of conversations. Oh, I do <laughs> all the time. <laughs> That's why I coach leaders and, and they'll say, but you don't understand what happened to me today. Good. Tell me what happened to you today. Yeah. And they'll tell me, well, this came up and then I had to handle that problem. And I said, actually, those were all issues that you should have coached your leaders about because now you get to handle those problems again. Well, I don't know if they can do what I would do. That's your job. How do you get clear about those expectations and coach that? So it's a very slippery slope and it got worse, much worse during the pandemic that everybody can justify all the activities and, and reactions they do. We're a total reactive world and we've got to get out in front of things and that changes things around. So it's really, and, and the lead piece I talk about in the article is we're not clear of what the results are. And, you know, when I work in, business or other sectors, you can't have an effective organization if you don't know what your outcomes are. Right. And we actually have data that about 70%, because we do these leadership assessments, 70% of the time educators spend is not on outcomes for students. 70%. What are they doing? They're reacting to the day-to-day -day needs to all the initiatives. So I want them to get focused on that North Star of what you are seeing as results. And I can talk about how we do that and how we can do it fast. We take too long. We have too much process, too many tasks. So I'm, we got to shorten the time. Where the problem is people are quitting education every day and because they're getting worn out. When If we make it clear and concise, they're going to be excited about staying. And that's people don't realize. So we keep adding in new things for teachers to do. That's That makes them quit. And that's why they're quitting. So when it... Why do you think that is, though? Because, you know, it's funny when I'm going through collaborative inquiry with with yeah. leaders or teacher teams or whatever, you know, we talk about what are your priorities and what are they based on? Right. And they've got to be based on exactly what you're talking about, which is what is your evidence or your data actually showing you is that area that that they're supposed to focus on. And then when you start, it's interesting. I, I ask them, what is your success criteria? And that's more of the qualitative, like the process that you see. What would you see if, if you had success? And then what are the outcomes that you want? And when when you get to the part where you start to ask them about what evidence that they collect, they don't always know. So as a coach, right. do you find yourself, because this is what I do, and I I I think you're an expert, and I want to know, am I doing this correctly? <laughs> okay. um, when I'm listening to them, and they start talking about, you know, CFAs, or they start talking about their PLCs, you know, all the acronyms. 
I start looking at what part of data is that. Sometimes I'll use Bernhardt's work and just start, is that school processes? Is that student learning data? Why do you think it's so hard? Because for years we've talked about, I mean, I remember a book on evidence that Cheryl Ward and Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry wrote years ago, yeah. where they said schools are awash with data, but they don't always know what to do with it. So why is it that we have so many data points and then we we don't necessarily dive into that? Is it because we have too much or is it because we don't know what to do with it? Yeah, no, it's really interesting that you say that because part of also part of our research shows that about 70% of teachers um, are not driven by data. Mm. So they actually get a negative reaction to data. So because they have that negative reaction, if we give them more data, they're not going to grab onto it to do it. Now, what we need to do is get them clear again about the outcome. So I'll give you an example. I just had a state call me and they got a lot of money from the federal government around literacy. Mm. And I talked to the head of the superintendent's association. Well, we're doing it the way we always do it, Lyle. So we're doing all this training on literacy. We got experts from around the country about reading. Um, then people said they're struggling with change. And now we got experts on change. What we realize from what you're saying is we're only focusing on content and the content's not connecting to the people. Right. So we want you to come in and help our instructional coaches understand how do we actually coach the people to do what we're talking about. And they're calling it the science of implementation which is fine. It's kind of some of the words you've used, right? Because we don't understand. We have to connect to the people to think differently. We can't keep throwing things in. We're throwing all these ideas into a vessel that is stuck in activities. If it, yeah. if you're focused on results, it's not just learning about reading. It's actually implementing that so that student achievement improves. That's a whole different factor that we always think is on the side and it will automatically happen. It actually doesn't. There's so much research. See, this is why I love talking to you. And this is why I enjoyed our conversation <laughs> from the very first time, because now I have so much, you know, that I, I remember years ago, Tom Gusky, who I value his work and, and he's brilliant. Um, he did a study where he actually gave, I think it's like 10 data points to teachers and to school leaders and wanted them to rank them from one to 10. And, you know, it was like teacher made tests to maybe um, common formative assessments to you know, statewide data or some sort of standardized test. And when the teachers ranked it, they ranked number one was teacher made tests, number 10 was standardized tests. When leaders ranked it, number one was standardized tests, number 10 was teacher made tests. So it's part of the reason why teachers don't necessarily like the data or don't want more coming at them is because we're asking them to use data that they, that they don't necessarily value. Is that a part of it? Yes. And you know, I, I give you a concrete example. I had a, a principal say to me, I have a teacher who hates data and she will not talk about it. I said, give me 10 minutes to talk to her. So I asked her um, that I would like to talk to her. Are you going to tell me why data is so important to me? I said, no, I'm not going to tell any of that to you because she's already defensive. Right? Yeah. So she was an art teacher. Okay. So I said, so how are your students doing? Oh, they're doing really well. That's great. So how do you know your students are doing? And she said, um, well, I can see their look in their eyes. I said, all right. So if they're, how do you know that it's not just glazed over from the night before that they didn't sleep? <laughs> so I'm very direct. And she said, I actually don't know you're right. 
I said, wouldn't it be interesting to look at some data? She said, yeah, that's a great idea. Because I didn't come <laughs> at her from a data set. Yeah, yeah. Because she doesn't know. But instead of saying, you need to look at the data, and she gets defensive, I asked her, how do you know? And the person who doesn't look at data doesn't really know. Now, they may have some observations that are helpful. So we don't want to discount their observations that everything's about data. So I, one of the things I talk about is don't be data-driven, be data-informed. If we're data-driven, we turn off these people. If we're data-informed, we value their point. So, it, you know, and that's interesting to me, too, because a few years ago, there was this Harvard study from Kraft that came out on instructional coaching. And most of the there were 60 studies. So it was a meta-analysis. And, and most of the studies were like K2 instructional coaches working with teachers. And what they found is that when they looked at whether an instructional coach could get a teacher to change a strategy, it was like a 0.4849 FX size. But when they looked at whether the strategy had an impact on student learning, it was more of a 0.18 effect size. And I remember John Hattie talking um, during a during a session one time that we were having, and he had said in the 1980s through like 2000, researchers used to look at whether professional learning or professional development, which is what it was called back then, um, had an impact on teachers changing a strategy. And it did. So the effect size of professional development was really high. But in the 2000s until now, the effect size of professional learning has gone down because the researchers changed the question from whether the strategy is having an impact on or on teachers to whether it's having an impact on students. And that's really, you know, that's all part of what you're talking about, too, which is that's the thing that I think is really interesting, too, to be able to talk about, because when I'm going through collaborative inquiry with the people that I coach, they, you know, when you ask them. How do you know? I mean, there are two basic questions, right? How do we know what we're doing has an impact on student learning? And how do we evaluate our own impact? And that's why I engage in collaborative inquiry, not just so principals or teachers can know, but also for me and my own coaching work. Like this is something you and I care about. You know, you want you as a coach want to have an impact. And it is one of the things you said earlier, which also was very interesting to me, and I wanted to be able to get it out, is that you know, from a state level. I'm the lead advisor for, for some states. And when you do meet with some people from state organizations, uh, they want they want to talk about the content and they want to talk about who are the who are the speakers that we can get. Because I think it's and I just had this conversation at a workshop in Texas as well, because it's about like who can we draw in because we've got the name as opposed to no, what's your success criteria? What is it you what are we supposed to be like? What is it you want to do with this information? Um, so it's interesting that you say that too, because that's something that I experience all the time. How do we change that dynamic? Well, you know, since you and I both speak and present, um, we can become part of the problem, right? Because Ooh. it's not about what we say, it's about what they do. Yeah. So my feeling is, and I talked to you that I've been moving against the way we do professional development. Let's take real-life situations. Let's put a cross-section of people in the room, and let's deal with the real-life situations. Yeah. And then let's look at what we need to learn out from that and then back and apply. What we do is we train and give professional development to implement. The problem with that approach is it doesn't work, and it, it's been worse since the pandemic because people are so stressed. So we're thinking if we put, give them professional development – They'll sit back as teachers or administrators. They'll think 
in an integrative way, pull all this together and apply it. When are they actually going to do that? They're too stressed out. They're trying to survive their lives. It's not going to happen. So let's go to real life and then go back and forth to the real situation. You'll get much better, which is what John Hattie is talking. Yeah, and you and I, I mean, that's, that's to be clear, you and I both are approaching it that way. I think it's, you know, having a hybrid approach where you're somewhere maybe three right. or four times in person and then monthly you're remote. But one of the things that I try to do is from the very beginning, bring in those real life situations. And I have to admit it's uncomfortable for people because I'll use a protocol like there's a micro lab protocol where you can ask three questions and, you know, mm -hmm. you get people in groups of three and all that stuff, or you can use the realm of concern, realm of influence. And when you, when you do that though, and I wonder if you find this too, when I, from the very beginning, will start using these protocols as opposed to just delivering content and saying, this is what you want to know, or you need to know. I find that I'm actually, I need to be more intentional these days to even say, like go overboard on saying, this is why we're using this protocol, because I don't want to be the one talking to you about right, what exactly. you should be doing. I want to draw out what the issues are so then we can talk about together, you know, what to do. Do you find that people find your approach uncomfortable? Because yeah, because I mean, you think about this. Yeah, this is where the coherence that Michael and I wrote about, because I talk about the coherence of behavior. So we want students to learn and we want this to be about learning. So we do professional development as teaching without learning which is interesting. It's not coherent, right? Yeah. So now we're switching it and the person providing the professional development, but I don't get to present my 20 slides. No, You're, you have to get your what you're saying into their work. Right. I mean, I've worked with other, i worked with another consultant and she said, but we're going to get evaluated poorly. That's okay. Let them evaluate me for it. Exactly. I'm fine with this. Two yeah. slides. We're going to connect it to the work. So every time I've done it, then we do our ratings. 100% positive ratings from everyone. Yeah. Now, we do not get 100% because we're talking about the actual application and the learning. So, yes, they're very uncomfortable because, you know, people have jobs that are titled professional mm -hmm. development, coordinating professional development. But it's the same thing with teaching. It's about learning. It's about making a difference for students, not just providing content and data. It's a it's right. a very uncomfortable but very successful strategy. And the people who love it are the teachers. The recipients yeah. love it. It's the providers in the central office that struggles. Well, I think it's it's key what you're saying too, because I, I was guilty. You know, years ago when I started running professional <laughs> development, it was here's the content, and I've got to get through the content. And then over the years of experience, it was you know these people aren't going back to process what we're talking about. They need time now. So making that shift is something. It, it was you know it, it took a lot of. It's hard to not control all of the dialogue. Now, as I get older, I'm not as concerned. You know, right, over the right. years, I've learned not to do that, but that's definitely a part of it. And you you also said something that's really key that is that you do this when you're going into coach and when you're going in to facilitate. But what we really need people to do is from the district office standpoint, how often do they give building leaders and teachers time to process the information. Like, you know, when we're facilitating and we're using a protocol, it's just being intentional about saying, this is a protocol you can use back at your school because you should be doing this too, because ultimately they go back 
to the district office and they'll run a meeting and they talk at the people and then they give them five minutes to go through data. And that's not enough time either. I want to ask you, I, I want to ask you a question because I love talking to you. And yeah, same is there, same here. so I hear people talk about data and evidence interchangeably. Is there a difference between the two or is it just words? Yeah. You know, the, no, I think the evidence is connected more to the achievement because data is a data point and there are multiple data points. That's why I'm not even a big fan of SMART goals, um, which mm. everybody does, because okay. to me, we're picking one data point and it's only one data point. It doesn't define full results. So I, I like to call it indicators of success. So what are the things that we see as evidence of success? Because when we do SMART goals, I notice, for example, people set the lowest possible goals so they meet it. Yeah. So it doesn't connect to the achievement. It connects to how they get an evaluation or they get through the, through their uh, expectations. So I think there is a big difference. And so a lot of my work is always trying to get people to understand the outcomes and change your behaviors to the outcomes, which cuts down the test. Mm. Because, you know, I'll give you a, a quick example. I had a school the other day that said, I don't have any time to do this work loud because we have to send out a, a newsletter. So I said, I just have one question. Does anybody read your newsletter? No. Okay, so nobody reads your newsletter, very few. So what is your strategy? We're going to do more newsletters this year. And that's, so th So I'm going to save you a lot of time. Don't do the newsletter. Figure out how, what you're trying to connect to people and how you would do it and how it would make a difference. So we fill ourselves so much with activities that we've always done that they never get to the outcomes. So when they get the data in, they can't connect the data to an outcome is the yeah. problem. And, and they're just so busy doing every little thing that makes absolutely no difference. And then the state and federal government throws more tasks to do and poor special ed gets them even more, <laughs> more tasks to do and more forms to fill out and they can't get that. So I cut all that stuff out and go right to the heart. Can you, so can you provide us, you know, I'm all about being intentional. Can you provide some examples of what a data point would be. I know this sounds silly, but I think there are people that, um, or it might sound silly. I think there are people that don't necessarily know that. And so can you provide some examples of what a data point might be? And then some examples of what evidence could be? Yeah, so I, I worked with, I had a superintendent said, okay, let's try your approach um, with a, a middle school team because we've been doing compliance, we're doing, and the results are getting worse. So I said, great. So then you leave these people alone and let me <laughs> help them focus on the right stuff. So I got them talking about, yeah, it was a math team and he was a, he's a math, ex-math teacher, so he loves math. So I asked them what their outcomes were. Well, they couldn't tell me. That. Um, they, they weren't clear. So they said, well, we're supposed to follow the math curriculum. I said, to what end? Well, so that we follow the curriculum. So we do. I said, what happens when somebody learns from the math curriculum? What can they do? How can they think? And they started talking about um, measurements on standardized tests, which are part of it, which we need to do, because I believe they, they should be in there. They've got too much play because they're not the only thing. And that's my problem with it. But I think we should do it. But then they talked about how could somebody actually enjoy math and be able to uh, apply math to other subjects? Okay, great. So now we can talk about interdisciplinary. How would your work around math connect into other classes? And how would you do that? And how would it be built into reading? 
to get results for kids and what are the results. So it's that tracking that um, I think needs to happen. Um, another example I had is I had a second grade teacher who said, you know, not very good at leadership or or any of <laughs> teaching at all right now. And she told me what she was trying to accomplish with her kids. I said, well, how do you know any of this works? She said, I have no idea. So I said, do you have any idea where you would find out? She said, could I talk to the next grade? Is that legal to talk to the teachers at the next grade? She wanted to know if it was legal. I said, no, there's not a law that you can't talk to another teacher. So she went in and said, here's what I was trying to do with these kids and get them to learn. What happened in the next grade? Were they equipped to do this? Did they struggle with it? What were the issues? So now I can inform my practice. We don't do things like that because we say there's no time. This woman literally thought it was illegal to do this. I said, it's not a legal issue. So I think we, if we stay on that results side, the measurements are the learning. I mean, I had another uh, good example of what's the metrics around reading. We're trying to get test scores on reading. Well, that's a data point, but what do you really want from reading? And they came back to me and said, we wanna create readers in our class. Okay, now that's a little further than a test score. So what does it mean to be a reader? So they defined what it meant to be a reader, that you have an interest in reading and that you, so then they started looking at measurements along that line. Okay. So if somebody's really a reader, will they do better on test scores? Yeah, there's a direct correlation. Yeah, you remind me of one when you're going through when you're going through collaborative inquiry, there are times that um, when you ask people what their priorities are, I, it happens quite a bit where people will say, well, we want to, you know, um, we want to increase test scores and they'll name whatever test that they're talking about. And I said, is that really your priority or is the priority the learning part of it? And then that's part of the, you know, the data point um, that you're going to use as evidence and, and that. But it it I don't know if I feel like it's sad that people it's will say that our priority is to raise test scores. And I understand the pressure. I used to be a school principal, so I get that, but that that's the go-to and we don't often enough talk about the learning that's involved. And when you redirect people about, that's why success criteria can be really important. So tell me, what would success look like if, and as they go through that conversation, it's a deeper, you know, they start to get the deeper meaning behind what the priority really is. But um, you're right, you know, having, Having that time to have that conversation, it doesn't happen often enough. And what I find is that people, there hasn't been a downside to it. Like when you're doing, when you're having these conversations, very rarely do you have a person leave saying, I'm really mad that we just talked about learning and priorities. No, they <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they actually leave saying, I wish we could talk about this more as opposed to some other things that we're doing. And see, there's where the teacher crisis is. We can't get teachers because of the other problems. If you actually talk about what they care about like this, they get motivated and want to stay. So we yes. say, well, let's decrease their stress by you know, having them take a yoga class. I think yoga classes and meditation are great. Yeah. You got to change the conditions and the conversations to have sustainable change. Because once the yoga class and the meditation are over, they go back to an environment which is stressful. So I want a combination of, of things that, you know, and this relates to, I don't know if you want to pursue this about the equity and social emotional work, because that's the same thing. That's all done separately. It's not integrated together. So the measurements are equity measurements, social emotional measurements. To me, they're learning measurements, which incorporate equity. And that would save, 
thousand hours of time for people if they did that way and get better results. You're right. We we do things as silos or isolated incidents, right? And sometimes, you know, people on the publishing side and facilitators, you know, workshops are responsible for that too, because that's what they're using as the anchor for the work that they're doing. And hopefully it's about embedding it, embedding it in as opposed to making it this, you know, own thing too. We have to, you know, we're, I could talk with you for hours. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I think people need to know the first time we talked, you know, I, I, we didn't know each other. And um, when we started to talk, you said some things that I kind of like my shoulders went up and I was like, well, wait a second. I think I need to argue. And we, we talked for a while and just, you know, you are blunt. Yes. That's a word. <laughs> But you're blunt in a really respectful and ed, like respectful and you have expertise behind the bluntness and you're not doing what I think is great about your bluntness is that some people, people can be blunt and it comes off rude and you're just kind of like you turn somebody off. Yeah, yeah. You, you can be blunt, but it's actually in a very positive and researched way. Right. And it's very empathetic at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And that's, that's not easy for people. I know. Because I say things to, you know, commissioners, state superintendents, leaders, presidents of colleges, and people always say, how do you get away with that? <laughs> well, you definitely won me like over, that. you know, in a 30-minute conversation. But <laughs> as we wrap it up, what is one thing that you want people to take away from this podcast? I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground and you've given a lot of really great information, but you know, what is one thing you want people to consider when they're leaving this podcast? Yeah, I mean, what I'm doing a presentation later today, you know, I start with integrate things, don't separate them. Stop yeah. doing all these committees, stop uh, and integrate things together. Make things smaller and more concise and clear. Don't get rid of process, but focus it. But then get your your clarity of what your outcomes are and make it so that everybody can understand it. If you collapse all these things and you and you focus, then you have a way to to stay on course. And then you got to figure out how all these things that are going to come at you, you're not going to jump to. If they integrate in, fine. If they're not, you're going to have to put them off. If it's a compliance requirement, you know, if you people look me up, they say Lyle says get a C in compliance. I do. So if it's a compliance requirement that does not impact your work, do it, get it done quickly, and put very little time. If it makes a difference on safety or achievement, then you do it well. So do not get distracted by that. And you have to do it every day, all the time. That's why I say around the social, emotional, and the equity, it should be a lens at every conversation. I don't care if you're talking about a facilities issue, you're talking, it's always in every conversation. It's not, I, you know, I always say it's not equity Thursday, social, emotional Friday. It's every day. It's yeah. part of the Lyle Kerbin, thank you so much for being on Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast. It is it is always an honor to talk to you. All right. Thank you again for engaging and, and uh, dealing with my uh, directness. I appreciate <laughs> it. I think it's refreshing, so it's not an issue on my side. All right. Thank you. Well, we've probably had dozens of episodes at this point. We must have, but I think this might rank amongst one of my favorites, because I do love people who, um, you know, cut to the chase and really try to help um, 
people in this profession really think about what's going to matter the most for kids. And I think Lyle Kurtman is one of those people who really, really, really feels it in his bones. He is not peddling anything, not that any of our guests are, but he right. is really about, um, you know, how do we help leaders take almost a risk to get focused on what is going to really work for kids? One thing that stood out to me, which is, I think, um, a conundrum that leaders find themselves in, and maybe all kinds of people who are leading things is, on the one hand, you want to follow what you're told to do, say from the state or from the feds or something, because you think that's how you will get the accolades or how you'll do well. But what really matters is the outcomes that you produce for kids. And that's how you actually get the kind of, if you're looking for recognition through student achievement and learning and well-being, that you actually get it by focusing on what you know works and almost having the courage to say, if this doesn't connect with my work or this is going to interfere with our goals for a school, then I'm willing to take a, a hit, if you will, or I'm willing to, you know, I'll be the buffer for that for my school or my district. But we're going to focus here because we know that that's what's best for kids. And then that result ends up being the better one. So I think it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's definitely a guy that one conversation sticks in the back of my mind when I'm facilitating workshop or when I'm going through collaborative inquiry or when I'm thinking about how effective I, am I, you know, in my, in my own work, he, his, the, there's just something about the way he goes about a conversation and the examples he provides and the expertise that he comes with that to me is something that sticks with me. And it's funny because He's been around for a long time. He mm -hmm. has worked, you know, at the state level, which is probably part of the reason why I I didn't necessarily know him, um, nor did I see him coming. But I'm really glad that Michael Folan made the introduction because the, the expertise that he has means a lot to me in my own work and, yeah. and what I'm thinking about as I move forward. So I also enjoyed, you know, I asked the question, the difference between data and evidence, because, you know, yeah. I wanted, I, I, sometimes we use words interchangeably and, and sometimes we're using them wrong. And yeah. so I, I enjoyed that he talked about sometimes. what a data point is and how it builds up to the evidence and, and those kind of pieces too. So even from that granular common understanding, which, you know, you and I both want to do when we're doing the podcast, yeah, it was really important. Yes, yeah, I love the distinctions and I and um just getting at the real definitions of what words mean. I think it's as important in 2023 as it's ever been. Um, a last piece that also stuck out to me from the professional learning side was his call to get to the application and get to the learning. When you're working with people, just what we say for teachers all the time, kind of yeah. get off the stage faster and get quicker into what are people dealing with on the ground and be there to help them wrestle with it because that's how you can start to actually affect change that you think is going to happen when they go back to their buildings. So I thought that it's so it's a simple thing, but it's the kind of thing that's easy to, you know, it's easy to forget. So wonderful conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed this one. Well, thank you for supporting me on this one when I, when I brought it um, to you. But of course. For listeners, give us your feedback. Let us know. And uh, thank you very much for, for listening. And Tanya, it's always good to see you.
I will look forward to learning with you next time. And please leave comments or subscribe, hit all the bells and whistles, whatever it is that you can do. We'd love to have your feedback on the show. Absolutely. Okay. Take care.